Hi patrons, thank you so much for supporting the lit review. It means the world for me that you're supporting this new project. You are helping me put out more consistent content and for that I'm very grateful. I mentioned this during the last lit review, but it really, really helps if you could leave a review on iTunes or generally comment on the social media sharing what you enjoyed about the lit review. It's hard for folks to see how amazing the content is if they don't have access to it. I really appreciate y'all's support and I'm excited to show you this interview that I did with Angelica Loreto. She is a woman who's born in Tucson and self-published a book called My Love Affair with the Cartel. Enjoy. Tell them, like, just think about the moment before the mic turned on. Okay. Because <laughs> it's exactly like that. Um, so, hi everyone. I'm really excited today to have Angelica Loreto here today, who is the author of My Love Affair with the Cartel. Would you, and she's a native Tucsonan. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners before we get started? I have another book coming out soon. Okay. What is your next book going to be about? Uh, it's sort of a little bit similar to this book, but it will be less (laughs) cartel-like. It's uh, called uh, Chicana's Dating Diary. Oh, nice. And what inspired you to write My Love Affair with the Cartel? So I initially began writing Chicana Narcolandia, which is my blog, and that was more for me to sort of share the ups and downs of my research process. Mm Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I left that halfway, and then I was going... The blog or your studies? I left that book halfway, sorry. And I started uh, writing my love for the cartel, which I didn't have that name yet. But I ended up sort of thinking that folks might be more interested in that story Mm -hmm. versus like what I went through during the research part of it. Mm And um, it just it it just sort of it kind of began slow and then it built up a lot and I reached out to the person who's the protagonist of the book and I let him know you know I I'm thinking of sharing this story and are you okay with this and he felt I guess he felt excited for it but he was also kind of cautious and. And said, you know, yes, but based on these criteria, and that's how it started. So you said you're doing research. Were you mm-hmm. a part of a program, or is this yes. just an interest of yours? And what were you trying to research? Okay, so my background is I have an MS from Mexican American Studies here at the University of Arizona, and um, for the past seven years, I've sort of been chasing the music, mm-hmm. and my work is looking at and examining and and pretty much deconstructing the lyrical artistry of narco corridos or drug ballads Mm -hmm. and so we met in that sense through that segue of Mm -hmm. me following the music chasing the music documenting the music and um, our paths sort of crossed in that space Mm -hmm. that would make sense right i didn't just (laughs) meet him at fries (laughs) (laughs) it was uh it was it was a very interesting meeting him but then I continued with my 
studies and talk a lot about sort of the ups and downs of this turbulent world that he belongs to, quote-unquote. So is the protagonist of the book somebody who writes narcocorridos or is he a cartel member or what exactly? So when I met him, I was very much in the same mentality as yours where I was like, wait, so what do you do? Are you his manager? Like I, I didn't understand the dynamics and why he was sitting in my interview with the artist. But then I sort of piece things together as we progress in our communications and he was very funny at first because he would try to tell me that it didn't matter what he did what mattered was that I was always protected and you're telling that to a Chicana <laughs> who doesn't necessarily feel like she needs to be protected like I got my own sort of mentality and so that was kind of <laughs> it was funny but also it, it it plays a big role now in the way that I think of things mm-hmm. so no I, I can't tell you for sure what his role is there are corridos for him out there that's okay. what I found out okay. in my own ways by doing the research that I was doing Uh, he would just kind of laugh about it when I would come and say, but what about this? And he'd be like, mija, yeah, like, you know, just be in the moment mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I would I would try a little bit here and there. And even in the book, I think in one of the chapters, I, I talk about trying to get a lot of information from him. And he says... I'm not giving you an interview. So <laughs> it, it's, he's part of that world. He's definitely not part of the musical component, though. Okay, got it. <laughs> How did your relationship start? Or like, it's called My Love Affair with the Cartels. So mm-hmm. what exactly was your relationship? Uh, so we met at a concert. And that whole night, he just kept... He kept trying in so many ways. And I was kind of annoyed by him like I was like who this man is a pest you know like I'm when I'm out there I, I think people have this misconception that when I'm out in, in the field right and it is a, a party scene I'm not there to sit down and drink and be part of the scene I'm there to observe the scene and sort of immerse myself in this area that I love to talk about and you know dissect so I was really irritated with him because I felt like he kept getting in the way of me documenting the singer and not only that but I felt like he he kept saying things like mm, te vas a enamorar de mí or you know like things mm-hmm. like this and it would just irritate me because I'd, I'd be like this man is annoying mm-hmm. so I would sometimes have my my you know business cards that the U of A sometimes makes for you so I left some on the table and that's actually how he contacted me okay so there was this was much later on from that initial meeting we began texting 
phone calls and then I'm not sure if you read the book. No, I haven't <laughs> read it yet, actually. I actually brought you a copy. Oh, yay! Okay, yay! <laughs> but he flew me out to Los Angeles because that's where he was at at the moment. Okay. And I say in the book that the flight was too short as I kept fighting internally with myself in terms <laughs> of how safe is this? Do you, <laughs> you don't know this man. What yeah. are you doing? So... And at that point, did you consider that a part of your research or did you think that this was like a personal thing that you were doing? I didn't know because see, I didn't think I was even going to, I'm like a full of, I'm a walking contradiction. So I'm wasting my time, but I think because it was part of that world that I was really into really mm-hmm. like trying to do my work in mm-hmm. that it just became romanticized and here was this person who happened to be a part of that world mm-hmm. and there was me and it just all came together um and still that i remember we we he he drove all over the place i like telling me about the little cities we would pass as he drove and i just kept thinking where were you driving yeah we i have no idea like we were just driving and he kept saying where do you want to eat do you want ice cream can i do you need anything anything you want just let me know and i'd be like i don't know this is it's so weird and and finally at a red light he just pulled me in and gave me a kiss and then I just remember thinking okay this is gonna be really bad <laughs> so, uh, and that was the beginning honestly that's the we after that we drove to a hotel and I documented that very thoroughly <laughs> in the book so are you still together no okay no okay. no the book lets you know what happens it's it wasn't a very good relationship but yeah. it was a very it was a good relationship to learn a lot from mm-hmm. so learn a lot in terms of your research or just in life uh, just in life as a mujer mm-hmm. and also an educated mujer mm-hmm. and also maybe about his world a little bit he he was always really good at hiding a lot of things mm-hmm. and I talk a lot about it in the book and I think that was his way of shielding me yeah that makes know, sense. I still can't tell you a hundred percent what he does do you have suspicions of course what do you think I I think he was a hitman but I'm not sure okay and so uh, before when you were going to the party scene and docu- mm-hmm. and writing about it, were you was that ethnography? In a in a way, so I produce and film a documentary on it. Okay. And that's how I I initially didn't know how I wanted to document the voices because my my documentary is called La Voz del Narco, mm-hmm. and the way that I thought that I was going to document and and take this work was only through the mouth of the people who were doing this work, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't want, it's so funny, right? I didn't want anybody coming back at me and saying like, that's not what I said and that's mm-hmm. what you wrote. Yeah. So instead... That's dangerous and research. Right, yeah. yeah, because I didn't, and I also came in with like some maybe biased opinions because 
culturally and socially we are told to criminalize these folks mm-hmm. without even knowing the intricacies of why they're doing what they're doing mm-hmm. and so I and why well, I tried I guess to not have those biases but it was hard sometimes when you're reading what's happening at the border or Mexico right and mm-hmm. you're like okay wait so this is not good mm-hmm. but then I think that what happened was I started having true friendships with a lot of the singers a lot of the managers and you start looking at them at a different angle so mm-hmm. you're not seeing Regulo Caro on stage anymore you're mm-hmm. like actually meeting Regulo Caro the man who happens to write narco corridos and goes on stage to sing about them but at, at, after the concert he's a father and he's worried about providing for his daughter now two daughters and a great family man you know I mean just really he everything family based mm-hmm. and that's not something that you're gonna associate with a narco singer so that just completely changed the course of my work and then I looked also at why Chapo Usman mm-hmm. like why do they have this affection for him mm-hmm. and of course I never had the opportunity unfortunately to sit with him mm-hmm. but the fact was there was a lot of good things he does and it just it, it changed really the course of what my work was supposed to do I was trying to look at whether or not the music was a component of the violence mm-hmm. and then I realized that it actually was a component of healing for the communities because it maintained the oral histories of what was happening the way that we've always done corridos mm-hmm. right we mm-hmm. document our whatever's happening and then also it kept the people who perished in some ways also mm-hmm. through the music so it just it, it completely 180 me yeah <laughs> so it's like whoa what what happened many nights of tequila to try to figure <laughs> it out <laughs> and and beautiful friendships mm. honestly beautiful friendships with these incredible folks who I always say you can't say it's a cochinero until you actually go watch them because they're incredible artists incredible musicians and they really do give it all up on stage and it's hard to take away that taboo because it exists mm-hmm. so yeah what is cochinero what does that mean that means like Like when people would say like rap is crap. Oh. <laughs> like my mom always says, it's a cochinero. Like okay, you and that it. cochinero. Like why are you into that? So yeah. Okay. And I also realized we never defined what a narco corrido is. And I know what that is, but there's people who might not. So could you just explain what sure. that is? I, I thought I said it before, but it's uh, narco corridos are drug ballads. Mm-hmm. So they are songs that seem to are glorify protagonists or whatever incredible happenings that happen within the narco culture world. Mm-hmm. 
And you said that you feel like these narcocoridos are actually a type of healing for the community. Yes. But then you also mentioned that they do glorify the drug trade yes. and that the there's a lot of violence yes. as a part of the drug trade at the border. So how, how do those two things mm-hmm. exist in your mind it's, at the same time? It's crazy, time? right? They, it's hard to describe it in ways that we can all agree upon. Yeah. Because... These are spaces, right, that I was able to enter. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult for me to tell someone, like, don't have that mentality because I can't change your mentality when you're seeing it. But it's okay. So there's, like, three things there. One, I I think that corridos in itself can be healing because music has been proven to be healing in so many ways. So narco corridos also fall under that category. Mm-hmm. The music allows us to heal from whatever not necessarily with the content perhaps because there's a whole lot of movements within narco corridos that's happening evolving right now we're like completely like different from when i started uh so that what are the different subcultures so right now we are moving into uh trap corridos oh wow and also the green movement. Oh, I don't know what that is. So it's um, it's uh, right now for the past year or two, um, a lot of the narco corrido singers are like Chicanos. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you're like born in the U.S. Born in the U.S. Still singing about Mexico and the the drug stuff, but now they're more about weed. Okay. So it's kind of like Chicano rap. Yeah, like stoner rap. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And it's really fascinating because they're singing about weed and they're having the smoke out tours. That's exactly what it's called. And it's all these narco corrido singers. And now right now they're doing trap corridos. And uh, there is a lot of like collaborations going on right now where they're having um, narco singers with like old school like gangster rappers mm-hmm. um this was kind of started with um, rancho milde which is one of the big companies that's promoting this movement and then you have omar ruiz who should be credited for the green movement movimiento verde it's really his baby he would always literally smoke out the venues and that's was his thing and mm-hmm. then that just grew and grew and then the smoke out tour started doing that as well Got it. and then the trap trap corridos of course are um i think it's i think it's a way for them to compete with the reggaeton because it's so hard to compete with them because mm-hmm. they're so big they're so massive um, and it's working And so I interrupted you while you were explaining what you think is healing about the corridos. So can we get back to that? Yes. (laughs) So the healing part, I think, does come from the narratives within the songs. Okay. When I was taking a course at MAS, this was my task, and I wrote a few papers on it. I looked at how music can be a component of healing within communities and also for people who've been through traumatic experiences and thanks to uh, Dr. Patricia Gonzalez, Dr. P. (laughs) I was able to look at literature that helped me try to find a way to do that with Narco Corridos again because they are 
a component in some ways of glorifying right that world and so using vine deloria's the world we used to live in i looked at how narratives have always been a form of healing corridos will always be narratives mm -hmm. stories so while looking at narco corridos i looked at how the communities embrace the songs whether it's at the borderlands or in mexico or further because the music surprisingly is all over the united states mm -hmm. it's now deeply in it's like in guatemala you see them having concerts in el salvador oh, wow. um, so it's it's growing 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 and so looking at that you look at how it, it if it was terrible mm -hmm. and if it was not wanted literally nobody would embrace the music it would not be the songs that people are asking for the venues would not feel so in some ways i do i do believe that the music is healing some of the communities because they are personally embracing them these narratives these songs these folks who are in again glorified through the music chapo usman Elena, whatever mm -hmm. like these protagonists are uh they're their idols you know and 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 especially Chapo because he was uh, Robin Hood you mm -hmm. know like I mean he some people even think of him in that term because he would take and he would give back to the community whether or not this is truthful or documented or not mm -hmm. I, I can't say for sure the reality is the music sort of shares that with you and I think that that's how some of the communities who have been riddled with violence maybe turn to the music and embrace it because in their eyes the folks we don't know because we don't live there but in their eyes yeah this is why you had people marching down the streets asking for chapel to be released it's just i think that this brings a very unique element to looking at the protagonist in a human way right humanizing them mm -hmm. which is what i strive to do with my work mm -hmm. and also removing that stigma of demonizing them mm -hmm. so i think that that's why I, f I feel like it heals communities because we are told to to criminalize them right but that's also like what is criminal mm -hmm. right like we use that a lot in activism right like what does criminality mean right so who sets up these terms and how do we go around them to try to like I guess in my way, I, tr I try to go around them because I want to look beyond what people are telling me that this person is. Mm -hmm. Realistically looking, and one of my friends and I, we talk about this a lot, and you look at how the narco gobierno, right? This is the government. Yeah, some people say yeah. that narco the narco world is actually what the real Mexican government, government is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I think that you can say that, mm -hmm. and that's why it's there. Besides the fact, and I and I use this so much, Americans need to self-medicate is a big component of the drug flow. Right. It's also <laughs> right. been documented in like these massive trials here in the United States with these like huge names like Chapo's trial, um, Vicente Zambada's trial. I mean the United States government has been working with the cartel. I mean it's like 
it's it's what more do you need to know documented by them proved in the court of law here right and i'm using quotations because <laughs> i think it's like bs but so i mean when you're looking at it and you're like well of course the narco gobierno is going to fill the holes there is no other option so when you say that the u.s government collaborated with cartels what, mm-hmm. do, you, what do you mean um so in vicente Zambada's trial he presented documentation in which he shows actual footage of the dea working with them this was giving them uh, guns or knowing their routes and knowing that they were going to bring in stuff um, and that was hugely documented and it's always funny when people try to argue this with me because I just point them to the articles like yeah. huge articles with like documentation of it happening and I'm sure anybody looking at his trial can easily pull it up that's very interesting <laughs> can you kind of switching gears a little bit to sure. talk more about your process of becoming an author and writing mm-hmm. a book can you guide us through the process of publishing your book and what sure. that was like it was really hard yeah uh, so when I okay, so I finished the book and I remember like I sat on that book for like six months mm-hmm. and I found out that it's actually really hard to publish a book I ended up sending a you know they, they you have to do like so many things I think it had to be like a cover letter a whole like uh, either one to three chapters depending on who you were gonna send it to like what publishing house and I ended up sending it to Harper's Collins because they had this one editor and she was the Latina-based editor. Mm-hmm. And You said um, that in quotes, why did you say because, that? <laughs> because I thought it was really funny that I sent it to her and she got back to me right away and said, this is so cool. And she was like, I love this. Like it shows a lot of potential, but you're not like famous. Oh. And then I was, I, I was, I didn't know like what to think. And she said, you need to build an audience. Oh, yes. And then I said, okay. So then I, um, I was like, okay, well, it was very positive feedback. Yeah. That's, and that is a pretty nice thing to receive for your first proposal. Because yeah. <laughs> most people just don't hear back. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so this is good. And then I kept, it was really weird because some of the publishing places too, like they required for you to have an editor first. So then that editor would send it off to like who they thought would be like a good, like how to print it for you. Mm -hmm. So then I like started looking around and and I found this other woman who was a woman of, of color as well. And I really wanted her to like the editor. And then I found out that they only take submissions, like, certain times of the year. Okay. (laughs) Everywhere I turned, it was, like, a dead end. But I am me, Mm -hmm. and I'm stubborn, and I never give up. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, not here. And then one day, I did, like, a ton of research, and I found a place called Lulu Publishing, which Mm -hmm. is online. And I went through the motions. And I actually work at the U of A, and mm-hmm. there's, there are several folks who are graphic designers who I work with. And uh, one of them pulled me aside and said, why didn't you just ask us? Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I spent months. And he 
was very gracious and was like, this is this and this and this. And was that for the cover art? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so he ended up designing the cover art. And then he said that he was really surprised that I would not have gone to them at my work of all places <laughs> to get this information. I kind of understand that though, because you, the book is about your relationship with a member <laughs> of the cartel. <laughs> so I feel like I understand why you wouldn't want your coworkers right, at the U of A, you know? And then they all bought my book. And then I was like, oh my God, like, did you skip through like chapter one to five? And then they'd be like, no, I read all Like, no, that was the best part. <laughs> from like all my coworkers. So then so then it was it was great. So that's how I did it. I took no I didn't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. I kept looking and I I think even now Barnes and Noble will even publish for you. Oh wow. Um so there's so many ways to go around it and it is it seems so difficult but if you're like me you will find a way. Like there's so many ways. It's so easy now. Mm-hmm. And then I just mailed a copy of my book to Miss Hillary down there at Harper's Collins. <laughs> I don't know if she ever got it, but I did send it. She really liked the story, and I know it's not her fault. Yeah. But I'd grown my little Instagram a little. <laughs> I thought that the, she said you're not famous yet is very interesting to me because it confirms what I've heard about publishing, that yeah. nowadays actually you need to become an influencer, yes. get a platform, and then that's the yes. way that you can publish a book. And I just think that's very wild because mm-hmm. it just demonstrates how central influence that idea of a social media influencer yes. has become, even in the world of hard copy books yeah no I mean it was it was weird to hear that because it didn't matter now that you have great content right and that was my thinking too because yeah. I was like well what if you have like the most amazing books sitting there but the person doesn't even have like an Instagram right. or like a Twitter so you're gonna say no and that book that could have been like famous like the Harry Potter series is never gonna see the light of day so that was that was frustrating indeed mm. so I guess we're all gonna have to be influencers in some way <laughs> oh my god I never wanna be that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> process with Lulu so you you gave them yeah. the art and then you gave them your pages so and you then... do do you do it all yourself okay. it's super easy to do you upload stuff you're able to do revisions they like review it for you and they'll let you know like they won't sell it for example at Amazon or Barnes and Noble if you don't do this okay and so they have everything it's like outlined there and it's and I completely think that that's was so incredibly easy and and I love the fact that they were so accessible to not just special folks yeah but everybody can go on there put their stuff that they want to create into whatever content they want yeah that's really cool because I'm a part of a writing group Mm -hmm. Uh, we meet on Mondays we call ourselves writing Mondays (laughs) (laughs) and we've talked about what our goals are for Mm -hmm. when we're done with the stuff we're working on and we do want to publish but we have no idea how. how yeah. 
and and yeah i'm the same way as you i want to bypass this whole system the like bs Mm -hmm. yeah like the gatekeepers that decide what's good and what's not especially because if you have really good content like you're saying in an audience that you Mm -hmm. know wants to read it then it just seems like there shouldn't be that blockage there are a few brown owned or like people of color on spots that do publishing but I just I think that I'm I don't have patience (laughs) so I just once I found lulu.com I was just like no I I don't even want to go through the whole you know send me three chapters and where I think about it and maybe we will maybe we won't so I once I found Lulu I was it was great and now the book's everywhere like I found it on eBay and it overpriced too don't buy your books through eBay that was ridiculous I was like wait a minute and then I like it's on Amazon Barnes Noble it's even at walmart.com so I mean they really can help you like if you're serious about and you have the money because they they do that and you pretty much can order and then they they print one copy or whatever but then also they have folks there who can help you market yourself too Mm -hmm. and that starts i think at like 1500 but they have access to that too so you pretty much would just would just pay them to help create your content and off you go you know and you become an influencer (laughs) But, uh, so, so you did pay them? No, he oh, didn't. Oh, okay. No. Oh. <laughs> no. I am a cost recovery. <laughs> what I purchase, I need to recover. Yeah. <laughs> so no, but I'm saying if you have the funds and that's something that you wanted to do about, you know, doing your own stuff, that's a good way where you don't go through the gatekeepers because they have that for you. and I And I think that that's... I stumbled upon it and I feel like anybody could reach out and and do it if they wanted to. Yeah. So apart from this advice that you have about Mm -hmm. looking for alternative ways to publish your book, what other advice would you give to young Latinas who want to write their own book? Just write. You know what? It has been so significant in my life to pick up, whether it's a pen or now that we're just on a computer, I went, again, going back to my soon-to-be-published book, I went through so much heartache and I just wrote poetry. Mm -hmm. And, And just, I think that it's so important for us to just write for us mm-hmm. even if we're not going to publish anything yes. even if in the future you think you want to publish something or even if you never do just the fact that it is therapeutic for you and for whatever you're going through it just write write because that's something that we are not ever told to do mm-hmm. document our own lived experiences mm-hmm. and you will find your rhythm, you will find your own voice. People who might ask you, because I get this a lot in my book, well, what kind of format is this? And I'm like, it's a poem, but it's a book. So it's my format based on how I want to do it, based on what I'm trying to give to you. Mm -hmm. And it's the content that I created. 
through my own experience, whether you want to accept it or not. I'm not going to give you the norms of what it's supposed to be. The second book is in the format of a book. So that doesn't mean that you have to play also by the rules. You set up your rules and what you want it to be. You're creating your content and it's yours. Mm-hmm. What, and what, so you said that it's in poem form? Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Do you consider it a corrido? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I do consider it a poem to him. I need you to read the book so that yes, you can... Yes, yeah. <laughs> we'll update this episode. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that you can... So that you know what I'm talking about. Because I think that... I think there was a lot of love there. But there was also a lot of heartache. Mm-hmm. So... And it's draining. Um, it's draining because it's one thing to romanticize something and then to be in it. And it's not fun sometimes yeah i can imagine so what were the things that were not fun not hearing from him for maybe a few weeks sometimes oh wow oh wow not knowing he always made these comments about if i you know like he'd be like write this down and i'd be like why and he'd be like because if you never hear from me like i want you to remember this and i'd be like why are you telling me like what's gonna happen tomorrow yeah my naiveness right of like not knowing i think i made up that word of not (laughs) knowing what that meant or what tomorrow was so that's draining on any relationship it's so draining Mm -hmm. so just the fact that I lived this and in, in the distance, right? Because like one day he'd be there, one day he might show up in Phoenix, one day he might just pass through here and not tell me. It was like, where are you, Aki? Well, <laughs> where, where is Aki? And he would be like, don't worry about it, I'm fine. Heartache, you know, I'm not dumb. I didn't assume that I was like the only woman that he was with. So you kind of you kind of go through the motions of me, and I don't really talk a lot about it because I was so mad about it that I was just like, then why do you why do you want me around you, right? Like if you're gonna do what you do, like I don't really need this. Mm-hmm. And then he would always come back and say, I know, I know, but I just I need you, and I'd be like, okay, until so then it it just it's 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 you mm-hmm. learning what you want to create in terms of boundaries Mm -hmm. and relationships Mm -hmm. and what you take from it and I think you see it you see it build up you see it crash (laughs) you see what happens I have screenshots in there (laughs) (laughs) in the book I love it (laughs) so a ton of screenshots in the next book oh I'm sure (laughs) and pictures and finally in this one I kind of put pictures but finally I realized that our worlds don't belong together. Hmm. No matter how much I wanted it, no matter how much he wanted it, in quotations. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did speak to him recently. I know you asked if we're still together. We're not together. Mm-hmm. But I did speak to him, and he's okay. Okay. And he, it's hard because I feel like I feel like I need to protect him sometimes. Because I feel like we found in each other the things that we would never have away from each other. Mm, Which is what? For me, I felt protected. I'm the type of woman that's like, I can kick your ass myself. Mm -hmm. But with him, I felt like his arms, his presence, just being in the same space with him, like I felt like nothing can ever happen to me. But it was unrealistic. 
right? Because we still did life privately. We, my friends, my best friends never met him. Yeah. My family would never meet him. My mom would kill me. I mean, she would kill me right in front of me. She'd be like, oh, no, no. Like, none of this. My dad would probably be, like, really shocked. I think my dad sold a book to one of his friends. I don't think I could ever see his friend again. <laughs> so, I mean, just, we, we were just two different people. I say this a lot in the book, but he hated that I was very educated. Hmm. It drove him crazy. Hmm. And it also drove him crazy that he couldn't, like, buy things for me and, like, keep me happy that way. Mm. Like, here, take this money and go. Like, he could never do that because I'd be like, you take this money and shove it. And, you know, <laughs> he'd be like, oh, my God, like, it's not easy with you. And he'd say that a lot and it just got irritating. Yeah. Instead of embracing we are two different people and we happen to have this connection, he would find ways to put a barrier I guess and I don't know if it was more for protection than anything and, and but at the end it was it was kind of cool because I say this in the book too. I learned from the best because when he said you know this this and that when it was time for him to take accountability for his actions he found it very difficult to mm-hmm. do so because he felt like you're not here. It's a common straight male trait. Yeah, he, you're not <laughs> here. And then it was like, yeah, but now I don't care. And I think that that's what hurt the most. That I was like, you taught me to be heartless and to not care. And now I'm giving it back to you. And that's when he, he cried. That's good. <laughs> I made this grown-ass man cry. <laughs> he said, don't forget, you're making this choice. And I just laughed. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it seems like he wanted the whole relationship on his terms. Yeah. I think that that's been my trend lately. Mm. I think that I don't know what it is. I think that it's so cute. But then you have me and you're like, oh, no. She's mean. Mm. Or maybe I know what I want. And so, yeah. But I, he's a great man. He's a great father. Mm-hmm. I tell him that he needs to think of his kids and change course if he can at this point. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. All I know is that I wish him the best. I hope the best for him. Because mm. he read the book. He's ordered books for friends. <laughs> but, he <doesn't laughs> but he hasn't read it. And, wow. he, and he says, you know, that... He wants me to sit there and read it for him. Can you imagine? I mean, I have so much time to sit there and read you the book. Sounds like a lot of people. Because <laughs> it's in Spanish too. So I'm like, oh, I was going to ask you about yeah, that. Okay, it's translate. in Spanish too. Okay. It's in Spanish because I wanted my my subjects, right? Of course. My brothers from mm-hmm. the bandas and the grupos to have access to it. Yeah. And it was it was really cool because I I translated it and okay I was gonna ask about that process yeah did you write it in English first yeah and then you translate it yourself yeah that's so much work it is how long did that take forever (laughs) (laughs) at least three months okay and that was because I was also traveling a lot I conference a lot with Mm -hmm. the documentary too so 
it is uh, it's it's very hard um especially when you're chicana and your spanish can be kind of <laughs> not the greatest yeah. so uh, my friend would say that doesn't make sense he would just look at me and be like why <laughs> don't you you're literally google like you're google translate right now and be like i'm sorry <laughs> Mom, como se dice? And she'd be like, why? And I'd be like, can you just tell me what it means in Spanish? And she'd be like, okay, this. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's hard. And I did ask, I remember when I started doing it, I asked my Facebook folks. I was like, does anybody know of like a site? I'm just going to throw the whole book in there. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's so hard. But yeah, so you, you know, it, it's if you have the ability to, you can make it work. And I haven't read it in Spanish because I'm afraid that it's not gonna make sense. <laughs> But I, the the first batch of books that I ordered in Spanish, I did it purposely when my brothers from La Setima Banda were gonna be in Phoenix last year in October, and I drove to Phoenix and we went out to dinner. We always go out to dinner and we hang out the whole day. And we went to dinner and I gave them their books and they were just so excited and I know that the whole group wanted them but I only ordered four books <laughs> oh so there's seven in the group <laughs> there's there's like 30 people in oh, the band so oh. they you know that night after they got off stage the, the boys could say mi libro? <laughs> nosotros no just them and I'd be like I'm sorry but I made it up in some other ways like we all had fun and The books haven't, I haven't ordered any books because I was out for a while with shoulder surgery, so. So you have Chicana's Guide to Love and Dating. It's um, the, the new book. Yeah. It's called A Chicana's Dating Diary. Okay, Chicana's Dating Diary. Yes. And so what inspired that book? It's kind of related to your first, but... Well, Looking at all of your relationships? Yeah, in his... So, my protagonist for my love for the cartel, his name is Teddy Bear. <laughs> and I never mess up. So, I, I decided... I decided to talk about my dating situationships. <laughs> after dealing with many situationships. And this is a word that I didn't even know could exist but apparently oh, it, it does. exists because a lot of people have been in them <laughs> it's, I'm rolling my eyes by the way because I just can't deal <laughs> my friend recently said I didn't know that you could break up from a relationship that you weren't in it. yes no joke I feel that I feel that to the core of my body and soul you know I started dating late and I started dating when I turned 30 so for the past couple of years I've sort of gotten all the bad batches of men mm -hmm. with some sprinkles of possibilities here and there so then like last year I went through one of the most abusive relationships of my life and okay. it was very abusive in terms of not just like physical abuse mm -hmm. but also very verbal abuse mm -hmm. and very mentally draining and very sad for my soul Mm -hmm. And I, <clears throat> I couldn't believe that I was going through this <laughs> when I went through this relationship with Teddy Bear. And Teddy Bear was this, like, 
scary man. Mm -hmm. But he was like this kitten with me, right? And so then here came this, this dude out of left field. So I just thought, right, teddy bear ended terrible, but he was such a good man, even though it ended terrible, right? But then like I hadn't dated and I was busy with my schoolwork and then I was gonna graduate in May 2017 and I was just like really focused. And so then I'm post-graduated, I'm post-research, I'm like sitting on my book, I'm really not doing anything, I'm bored. Mm -hmm. And this guy came into my life so ironically and weirdly and I took, yes, a terrible lesson. Yeah. And so then I started reading a book before I had my surgery in December and I read Jenny Rivera's Unbreakable. Oh, okay, yeah. I've heard that's really... No, I heard it's really good. I cried throughout the whole book because, one, I wish Jenny would have participated in my research. I think she would have become a mentor. And I feel like I would have had a really deep connection with her. So, like, that is really significant. But then also the fact that she poured heart and soul into this book and she talks about her patterns of dating and in my brain I I mean friends close loved friends would be so angry like this is what you do all the time look at what you're doing again and I'd be like but no that's silly I don't do that because I'm not seeing it Mm -hmm. and then after I read Jenny's book and I like cried for like a week and every time I thought of her book I thought of my own patterns Mm -hmm. And I didn't even think about writing this book. I actually, I'm, I'm in the midst, and I put that behind. Of, I was writing a book about my mom, and I was, I was doing more like a Chicano writing book about my mom and her life and all of that. And then I just something happened that day and I was like you know what fuck it I was like I'm gonna write about all these idiots Mm -hmm. and then I just started writing and writing and when I I started the book a month ago and I couldn't stop writing wow I just it felt like again therapeutic Mm -hmm. it felt necessary I cried a lot when I got to folks who were hurtful, right? Mm -hmm. Especially the last chapter. Well, not he's not the last chapter, but his chapter is called the Pakistani surgeon. And when I got to his chapter, and it's really long, and it's like really hard to go through like the abuse again. Mm -hmm. And then it's and then I I had thought that I had deleted a lot of the screenshots when I went through the situation with him. And then to just relive, relive through them again and and just, I don't know. And so I think that once I started writing, it just sort of happened and, and that's where we're at. I think it's important to note that this man who was a hitman for the cartel was actually like very sweet and affectionate with you and that somebody who's a surgeon, who I, I think people associate certain things with social class Mm -hmm. like oh like I think there's this idea that domestic violence is like a poor person's issue yeah and I think it's really important to note that even in these quote-unquote respectable fields men are still men and have been socialized to act in a certain way yeah and they can still do harm so I think it's it's really important that you're sharing your story thank you Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I actually, I can't even, I mean, in the book I talk, I, I don't even think I put this, but there was last year, I remember walking from the Rialto to this man's house, and I just remember calling Teddy Bear. And, and telling him, like, he just, this is what he's done. And I just remember him thinking, who are you? And I just remember, like, I was full of tequila, and in a second, I was so, and the words hit so hard that I remember getting up, and I stared at the monster, and I stared at him, and I said, I'm, I have to go. And was that the end of the relationship? No, it wasn't. That's was because I made the choices to go back. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of me writing about it is that I talk about what I meant. So I think right now you're seeing someone who had to learn a lot mm -hmm. and had a lot of growth. Because you, I think people don't understand how draining relationships can be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. woman as you've said you have your master's degree and you still experienced this violence yes do you and I, I know that a lot of women a lot of survivors have come out and said you know I always thought that I was different you know like teddy bear was saying oh you were Just, not that yeah. woman right and then they realize that abuse can happen to anybody yeah. and actually a lot of abusers are really sophisticated in how they end up abusing you and so do you identify with that at all I do and my friends it was so hard and actually like two nights ago I, I was sitting with my best friend and she was, you know, she was trying to tell me because the devil contacted me over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her how I felt. And I said, when I look back, I guess I, I guess I could see the manipulation and the verbal abuse, but I didn't know how to get out of it mm -hmm. because I was hoping he would change or I was hoping that he would be the guy that I fell in love with mm -hmm. in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that, just, that's what happens to a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that it's and I think it's so easy for you to to not remember who you are. Mm -hmm. Or manipulation is so sometimes you don't even know it's happening, but then you're right. like, wait a minute. You take a step back and you're like, wait a minute, why did you make me do? And it's like, wait, he didn't make you, but he did in a way, right? Because mm -hmm. then I started acting in ways that I wouldn't. I I. And it's and again it's like you lose your identity because then you only identify and and you get used to that abuse because you're like okay wait he is abusing me but yet I'm giving him permission so then you're like I can't be a victim mm. and then it's like the cycle right like it's you just keep going and going and going and going and my sister I think said it best when she cried to me and told me that she didn't like it and she said he's just an asshole with a title and that's really what it was it didn't matter that he was a surgeon it didn't matter that teddy bear was or is or isn't whatever he is for the cartel mm -hmm. the differences were very very drastic mm -hmm. teddy bear would have never once treated me the way that the surgeon did mm -hmm. i guess i don't know i just thought that because he was completely different that it was going to be the best thing mm -hmm. and that's a really fucked up way of thinking because 
I was happiest with teddy bear, no matter what the things that we went through. Because mm-hmm. I knew what he was going to do. This guy was just completely gaslighting me and then would ghost me and be really mean about it. And then everything was always my fault, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and you feel like teddy bear was more transparent with you. Yeah. Maybe there were things about his lifestyle you didn't agree mm-hmm. with, but he was open with you about that, which is different right. than and what the surgeon was yeah, doing. Yeah, like he, okay, so in the book I talk about how he got a woman pregnant and he was like, you're not here. And this, like, you know, we wanted to have a baby together, but it just didn't happen. And I talk a lot about it in the book. And the fact that he didn't hide anything though, right? Like the way that I found out he had gotten this woman pregnant was through social media and through people talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember him calling me, he said I was like the FBI. He's like, <laughs> Who, I don't even need them after me. He's like, you know everything. So, I mean, even though it's comical, I was just like, why didn't you just, you know, why didn't you just tell me? I mean, I would have not invested all this that we're investing, especially when it's not consistent Mm -hmm. and it's not your normal relationship. And he, at least his apology was truthful versus this other dude was not truthful. It was an apology that he felt he had to do because I was asking for it mm-hmm. versus teddy bear was like I, I want you to know how sorry I am based on our worlds like it just doesn't work I'm still a woman she's still a woman and I deserve and she deserves better mm-hmm. and so my thing has never been because even I talk about the Pakistani surgeon cheating on me and I'm always like I would never focus on the women, right? Because it's like, the men have an option. Yeah. And we had a commitment well, relationship. Right, exactly. The man has an obligation to you. Right. And this other person is not. <laughs> totally not even should be involved. And I, I never, like, in the book, I never talk about the women unless I, like, describe... Once I described the last time I saw him, I described going to a weird place. Her shoes and stuff was there, and I just... I hated it, right? But I didn't hate it because I hated her. I hated it because I was in her space. Mm -hmm. I was in where she was at. And I just was mad at him for bringing me into her personal space. Complete water and oil to Mm -hmm. men. Would I put myself on the line for teddy bear? 100%. Would I put myself in the line for this monster? No. At all. I think abuse is never justified, and I'm sorry that you went through that. Thank you. Yeah. So I think we're about at an hour. It's usually how long the episodes are. So I don't know if you did anything else you wanted to add, anything you feel like we haven't talked about that you wanted folks to know. I don't think so. I super support a lot of folks out there and if anybody wants to reach out I am available anybody can reach out and I would be very happy to read stuff if they want me to or share anything that they would like if they have more questions I'm happy to be there especially for other Latina writers cool yeah we can share maybe your social media um, in the show notes so awesome alright bye y'all hope you enjoyed Thank you.